You're listening to the Reformational Anglican Podcast, the podcast that delves into the riches of Reformational Anglicanism for the good of the church today. I'm your host, Sam Pilo, and with me here is Ryan Scott. Um, so Ryan, Thanksgiving has has passed for our American friends, and it's the time of year people start putting up their uh, their Christmas trees, Christmas decorations, sending out. I got my first Christmas card the other day from a very eager dear friend, but it's not quite Christmas yet. Uh, this is the the season traditionally known as Advent. Christmas doesn't start until until Christmas Day in the church calendar. It's actually the first. I only learned this recently, or remembered this recently. It's the first Advent is the first part of the liturgical year. Um. So so Happy New Year, to all our listeners. Happy New Year. So, yeah, it's it's Advent. Uh, Advent's traditionally seen as a time of a time of preparation. Ryan, do you want to tell us a little bit, tell us what we're preparing for a little bit? I think the sense with Advent, from what I can kind of work out, yeah, by no means um, very knowledgeable about these sorts of things, but from what I can gather, the real sense that we see with an Advent is the sense of coming, uh, the Lord's coming. So obviously at Christmas Day, we remember that the Lord Jesus, uh, we remember his incarnation, I remember that uh, God came to earth, that he took on flesh, that he dwelt among us, that he became the God-man in the most extraordinary way, really, that we could could imagine. The, the real revolution that happened whenever God took on flesh. And uh, in the run-up to that, uh, it's a season of preparation. But there seems to be a sort of, it's a more broad thing, really. It's it's about reflecting on the Lord's coming, not just in terms of his first coming, but also in, in his final coming. So there's a real eschatological uh, bent to uh, Advent. So the whole season then seems to be geared towards preparation, allows us to put ourselves back into the shoes of ancient Israel and to think what was their sort of mentality whenever they were preparing for the coming of the Messiah, the one who'd promised. They were waiting for hundreds and hundreds of years. They were people who had lived through the exile. They'd lived through the judgment of God. They knew the law that had been revealed to them at Sinai. But they also knew the promises that God had made to his people through Abraham, through King David, through the prophets. And they knew that one day in the future, God would ransom, he would redeem his people from exile. He'd finally bring them back into the promised land, that he would restore all the amazing promises uh, that he had made through his prophets to his people. And so it was this real time of waiting, this time of expectation, this time of hope and longing for what God would do for them in the future. And we now are in many ways in a similar position. We're in a better off position than they were then in the sense that we can look back to the event of the Lord Jesus coming in in his first time with great humility, as the first collect for Advent puts it. But uh, we are also those who are waiting for redemption in the future. And life now can be quite dark. It can, you know, we can be wearied down by our sins, by our sorrows, by our experiences of suffering, by all of these things. And... Uh, and I suppose that's symbolized as well by the time of year we set uh, Advent within. For us, it's 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 a dark time of year, even the time that we're recording this quite right now is quite dark. It's only 12 minutes past five. It's pretty dark outside. Uh, but And so Advent, yeah, that, symboli- that symbolizes all of these things for us within Advent. And so it's a really appropriate time of the year, a really appropriate season for us to uh, to allow the, the feelings, um, the mood, I suppose, of the season to focus our thoughts upon the fact that yeah one day god will come 
one day Christ will return. He'll bring the promised redemption. Uh, He'll ransom us from all of our sins, all of our sorrows, and uh, we can be with him forever in true light, really. Yes, so a whole whole medley of of themes really coming through in Advent. I guess that's reflected in the uh, the lectionary readings for Advent. So the the lectionary readings for the first Sunday in Advent. Um, perhaps these were read in your in your church this week. Uh, we've got Romans thirteen, which talks about um, how we should live and how we should how Christians should uh, throw off or put away the works of darkness. Because the because the day is dawning, because um, uh, Jesus is is closer to coming back today than he's ever been uh, at any point in the past. So looking forward to to Jesus' final return. But then the gospel reading is uh, from Matthew twenty one, and it's the the triumphal entry. So Jesus coming to uh, to Jerusalem, and throughout the. Uh, throughout the readings for for uh, for Advent, you've got um, uh, Jesus as the the promised um, the promised uh, offspring of Jesse, or uh, the root of Jesse, who, who's Lord of, of of the the nations. You've got um, Jesus, uh, some of Jesus' apocalyptic sayings. So it's kind of collapsing those those horizons a little bit. Um, that's not simply. I guess we want to say that's not simply a. Uh, a kind of allegorical or, or a bit of artistic license, and um, that's something Scripture wants us to do. Um, scripture's kind of uh, Scripture's unified um, around Christ, and it uses these these patterns uh, to to indicate you, know, you should read to read Jesus' first coming in light of Jesus' second coming, and vice versa. Jesus coming to Jerusalem in uh, humility on a donkey that should make us think actually Jesus is going to return. Not as, not as the humble suffering servant, but as the, as the victorious king of the of the cosmos, as the the judge. There, yeah. But in in Advent, we see we see those kind of collapsed in together a bit. Yeah, one of the illustrations that I think is quite helpful for this, if you think about the broad scheme of God's. Revelation has been as it's been revealed throughout the scriptures uh, is that Old Testament Israel was really waiting for the coming of the day of the Lord, and upon the day of the Lord coming, there would be a whole pile of amazing things that would happen. God would exalt His people, lift up His people. He would cast down the enemies. He would provide the ransom, the redemption that's been promised. But as it was revealed, what actually happened was that the day of the Lord sort of stretched over two comings. So at the first coming, Jesus came, he died for our sins, he provided redemption, he provided a defeat of the devil, he provided, he provided everything really that we need, but the full sort of consummation of that would only come later on. So one of the illustrations that I think is quite helpful is, imagine you're, you're walking, uh, you're hiking, sorry, and as you're, you're getting up the mountain, you see that it's the sort of top peak, but whenever you get to the top of that peak, you realize actually there's one more peak just behind it. And from a perspective of those living in the Old Testament, they were looking forward up to the the peak that they could see right in front of them. But what the uh, what we find out that happens then in the New Testament is that there's actually there's two main peaks that happen. So there's Jesus's first coming, and then uh, there's the further hike then on up to the um, the second peak, really. And I think that's brought 
through to us in the first collect quite helpfully. So it speaks about the Son of God coming in great humility, uh, that on the last day we would we would then be prepared. So we who are living through the two comings of Jesus, we look back to Jesus coming in great humility, first of all, and then we look forward to him coming uh, in the future to judge the world. And I suppose that's brought through to us in, yeah, as you were saying, Sam, in in the gospel reading for the first Sunday, especially in the sense that Jesus comes to Zion. He comes to Jerusalem. He enters into Jerusalem. And then he, as the passage goes on, he cleanses the temple. So that's uh, Jesus coming to judge. He's coming to cleanse out his people. And we can read that passage sort of typologically in the sense that it it points forward to the fact that in the end, uh, the Lord Jesus will come to his people. He will cleanse out all that is wrong, all that uh, should not be there. And so we now, as the epistle reading kind of exhorts us to, should be those who cast off the works of darkness and put on the armour of light. Yeah, and just just reminded as you were uh, talking about those two um, two horizons. So Jesus' first first public sermon, uh, he's in Nazareth, in Nazareth, and he goes into the synagogue and asks for the the scroll of Isaiah. And he begins, you know, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me uh, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And, and on it goes. And then Jesus stops halfway through a verse. So he gets to to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he stops and he sits down and he says, this reading is, is fulfilled in your hearing. But actually the, the, the rest of that verse is to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of his vengeance. So there's Jesus kind of cuts that cuts that verse in half and says that, that there's, as you say, there are two horizons. Back when I used to teach Sunday school in Belfast, I I made a prop one Sunday to try and uh, try and illustrate this. Now I I'm not particularly artistic, so it, it was functional but not very very pretty looking. But it was a, a kind of a cardboard cutout of a mountain range, but it, it was arranged in such a way that you could you could flatten it down and it would look. Uh, like one sort of two-dimensional, just spiky triangles cut out of a of a mountain range as seen from a distance. But then you could you could uh, pull a certain bit apart, and all of a sudden it was three-dimensional. You could see that some of the some of the peaks were much nearer, and some of the peaks were further back. Uh, I think that's I don't know if that's Alec Matier saying, or maybe it goes back to someone all earlier. That idea of uh, the range, as when viewed from a distance, looks looks flat, looks two-dimensional. But actually, as you get closer, you see there's it's much richer. There's some of the peaks are much closer than others. I, I guess there's a sense of how the New Testament deals with and talks about Old Testament prophecy that the prophets are kind of getting these visions and seeing different bits and pieces and trying to discern what they're being shown, what 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 of Christ is being shown to them, and maybe it seems a bit flatter to them than actually uh, how it falls out chronologically. And I think one of the wonderful things about that is that allows us then to appropriate for ourselves the prayer life of ancient Israel in terms of the Psalms and lots of the, the prayers and the piety that was going on in the Old Testament. It's it's just as relevant, if not more relevant for us now, as we wait for the Lord's final coming. I suppose you can see that in something like the hymn of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. A wonderful, wonderful hymn, really. And classically sung around the time of Advent. Um, 
the main elements of the hymn actually go back to I think the third uh, to the eighth and ninth centuries. Uh, these sort of uh, antiphons, the plain chant antiphons that were sung by the monasteries. Uh, so it was really quite a, uh, quite an old hymn. But the sense of the sense of fit is that Emmanuel will come to his people and finally set them free, and that sets us through a series of stages in biblical history before uh, the coming of the Lord Jesus in the New Testament. And yeah, we can appropriate that for ourselves. One other uh, hymn that I really love, I've, I've been listening to it loads and loads recently, is one that was written by Luther. Uh, it's called From the Depths of Woe. And uh, the the band Indelible Grace Music, they have a version of it now. I'd encourage everyone who's listened to this to look it up. Uh, I think it's absolutely amazing. And it's based on Psalm 130. And again in Psalm 130, they are waiting for God to come and visit his people and bring the uh, the restoration and the salvation that he has promised and again we can sing that and we can look forward to the day whenever lord jesus christ will return and ransom us from all of our sins and sorrows So the next uh, Sunday then of Advent that we uh, go on to then focuses in quite interestingly on scripture. This I think is the most, amongst people, amongst reformed uh, evangelical Anglicans, I think this collect is by far the most well known because it's the collect that exhorts us to read, mark, learn and inwardly digest the holy scriptures uh, that through patience and comfort of thy holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast to the blessed hope of everlasting life. Yeah, so the amazing promises of the scriptures. And that collect picks up on the language really of Romans 15. A lot of times if you go into passages of scripture that talk about the importance of scripture, a lot of times we might go to something like 2 Timothy 3 uh, verses 15 to 17, kind of really hone in on the importance of scripture as that which is God-breathed and profitable for every good work. But Romans 15 is also a really, really helpful passage. And it the thing that really is brought to the fore in Romans 15 is the sense that the scriptures are given to give us hope. So whenever you think about the scriptures given to give us hope, immediately you can see why that might be an appropriate passage for Advent because God has promised, he's made these promises, we can't see them yet, but he's made them nonetheless. And so we look forward to the time whenever those promises are going to be fulfilled. And especially in Romans 15, what's really brought out is the fact that Christ is the fulfillment of the promises that all of the Gentile peoples would come in and would worship God. So one that would come from the root of Jesse and in him, the Gentiles will put their trust. So really important passage in that sense. And yeah, quite appropriate for Advent as we, as we look forward to the final consummation of those, uh, those promises. And then in the gospel reading, we have a reference to Luke 21, which Luke 21 is is that really apocalyptic um, section from Jesus where he speaks about the signs of the sun and the moon and the stars. And similarly, you can find a similar passage in, in Matthew's gospel in Matthew 24 and in Mark's gospel in Mark 13. And there's all sorts of um, different views that people put forward on that, on that passage. From my own um, perspective, I uh, think that the passage is more to do really with the coming of Christ to judge Jerusalem in AD 70. I don't know what your view is on it, Sam. Yeah, I think that's definitely 
at least part of it, probably most of it. Yep. Um, there's a few reasons why I would see see the destruction of Jerusalem in eighty seventy as as really brought to the fore there. I think you can see it quite clearly in Luke twenty one because the bit before talks about the Gentile armies coming and surrounding Jerusalem. So that's pretty clear. Uh, Jesus also speaks about the fig tree, and I think the fig tree in the context talks is a reference to Israel being sort of really fruitless. Uh, there's also at the end of the section Jesus says this generation will not pass away until all these things are fulfilled. So that's quite convincing. And then also this sense of the Lord's coming and judgment. Uh, so again, we're still thinking about the Lord coming. But there is a sense in the Old Testament, if you look at Micah 1, for example, that the Lord is coming in the heavens and he's coming to judge his people. But the immediate context that that's actually talking about is God judging Israel as he brings the Assyrian armies to destroy them. So uh, there is sometimes temporal uh, sort of earthly judgments that can sometimes be described as the Lord coming uh, from heaven to judge his people. But you still have that that similar sense uh, of coming that we see throughout throughout Advent. So that's uh, the second Sunday. If we move on then to the third Sunday, uh, here what is sort of brought to the fore is that in light of the return of Christ on the last day, Uh, We pray here on the third Sunday for the ministry of the gospel and especially for gospel ministers to be faithful and that they would be effective in turning the hearts of the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. And so the two passages, one comes from Paul, 1 Corinthians 4, and he speaks about the fact that you know, he's involved in this controversy with the Corinthians. And the Corinthians are are trying to weigh up Paul's ministry and he's looking at the fact that he doesn't really look very impressive to them. But in 1 Corinthians 4, he just makes the point that, you know, don't judge anything before it's time. And ultimately, ministry will be weighed up on the last day whenever the Lord will uh, bring to light the things that are hidden in darkness and make manifest the counsels of the hearts. So God will expose the hearts of every man on the last day and so that's the day in which we can we can judge the effectiveness really of various elements of gospel ministry and then i suppose the, really the archetype for advent in the sense of preparing people for the coming of the lord and the role of certain gospel ministers in preparing people for that time is john the baptist so john the baptist really comes out in the third sunday in advent and jesus refers to john the baptist as yeah, I think he's sort of referring to John the Baptist as a bit of a hard man, really, in that passage. Um, so that's that's John the Baptist. Sorry, I've never heard John the Baptist referred to as a bit of a hard man, but I mean, fair enough. Like lived in the desert, ate, you know, just foraged, bit of, bit of rough clothing. Like he probably he probably was a fairly fairly rugged sort of um, Ron Swanson esque character, maybe. Yeah, well, I mean, part of the reason why I th- why I think that is because you know Jesus says. I mean, I'm reading from the from the old, uh, the old King James translation here in the prayer book, but it says that you know he speaks about John the Baptist as coming out of the wilderness. I read, was he shaking in the wind? You know, these rhetorical questions. Was he wearing soft clothing? No, those who wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. So he wasn't a man that was sort of living in in softness and in luxury and and in wealth and all the rest of it. No, he was, he was a pretty hard guy. It was living out in, uh, yeah, living out in in all of the elements. Mm. He's kind. Of, he's the he's the last of the Old Testament prophets, really. 
and that comes along with the, uh, I guess, the rugged lifestyle and living in caves and getting persecuted by kings and all the rest. Mm. I'm just looking at the last couple of readings for for Advent. Strangely, we've we've got uh, Philippians four four, uh, rejoice in the Lord. I think probably the reason this is in here is a little snippet says the Lord is at hand. Um, so the the reason Paul gives for for rejoicing for uh, for not being anxious it, it, it's it's because the Lord is at hand. He is uh, he's present by his spirit with his people, but he's also at hand. He he's he's coming. Um, I guess Advent is really preparing for uh, for Jesus coming, and, and there is a sense of obviously there's great gravity to that, but there's a sense of rejoicing. And that's helpful whenever we look around and the world seems to be uh, just chaotic. I think this year has been particularly chaotic, but I rejoice because the Lord is at hand. Maybe that's a a helpful thing to take into Advent this year. Um, we we live in a world that's that's fallen and bizarre, but uh, but Jesus is coming back, and that's uh, that's beautiful. And the the gospel reading for the fourth Sunday in Advent is, is the the religious leaders asking John the Baptist. Uh, the the hard lad that he is um who he is is he is he elijah is he the christ is he the prophet and he says i am the voice of one crying in the wilderness make straight the way of the lord john's whole ministry wasn't about himself it was to to point forward to jesus it, it, it's the the point of john is to say get get ready because jesus is coming um in some sense that's the point of of all gospel ministry uh to prepare people to uh, to meet Jesus and to pour ourselves out, pointing pointing to Him. I think one of the other things that's going on with the um, the issue of rejoicing as well is part of the issue with the Philippians. I think is also rejoicing in their in their suffering. So whenever things are not easy, uh, that's especially whenever yeah. And there's lots in the scripture that talks about rejoicing in their sufferings, but. I think it's a particularly appropriate. I mean, it, I think it really comes home in, in the collect. You know, you think about the fact that if, if Advent is is there to symbolize the whole duration of our life, which is there to prepare us ultimately to meet the Lord, that's not easy. Um, it's something that can, can weigh us down and get quite difficult. But the collect is really helpful in that sense because it hones in on the fact that the petition is that, that God would... Uh, succor us that he would through though we are weighed down by our, our sins and our wickedness though we are sore and we are often hindered and running in the race that's set before us but actually god's mercy meets us in that moment and it keeps us going right into the end so right we're getting right to the end now we're on the fourth sunday of advent symbolically we're, we're sort of getting towards the end of that moment in which we are preparing to meet the lord and it's just recognizing the fact that yeah it's not easy Throughout this time, we might have got weighed down, but actually God's mercy is there to comfort us, to succor us, to keep us going. So I guess, um, just thinking there, there's obviously lots of uh, Advent devotionals, things like that come out each year. I know C.S. Lewis used to read, I think it was Athanasius's On the Incarnation every year coming up to Christmas. Uh, Ryan, any any recommendations for... Uh, I guess ways of thinking about Advent or, or particular book recommendations, reading recommendations. 
I don't uh, I don't personally have any particular book uh, recommendations, although yeah, definitely read Athanasius on the Incarnation. I read it. Yeah, I read it a couple of times now, and it's absolutely phenomenal. And uh, yeah, again, the way that Athanasius speaks about Christ overcoming death. I mean, that's such a big thing for Athanasius. I remember, there's one part where he talks about sort of death as this king that is, you know, it's it's been defeated, it's held up, and it's paraded by the the victorious army through the, through the camp uh, as they sort of victoriously taunt death and show that death has been absolutely defeated. So yeah, that'd be a wonderful book to read over Advent. One of the traditional things that's sometimes done at Advent, again in this sense of looking forward, is to meditate on the four last things. And the four last things are death, the return of Christ, uh, heaven and hell. And there's Lots of stuff throughout the Christian tradition that has meditated on those sort of four last things. And that's certainly, I think, a really a useful time for us, uh, a really useful exercise for us to do would be to meditate on our own deaths and the fact that we are all going to die at some point. You know, the scripture ta- helps us to, encourages us to uh, count our days, to number our uh, days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. It calls us off, It calls upon us to uh, look forward to the return of Christ and the new heavens and the new earth, and also to uh, Christ's judgment of the wicked uh, in sending them to hell. So these are heavy topics, but they're heavy topics that are there to prepare us ultimately for that final Christmas, when Christmas finally comes, and all of the joy and the wonder and the amazing promises that come to us in Christmas, uh, all of the beauty that we can see in the fact that the incarnation has come at Christmas, uh, we can make the most of that, I think, if we set that in the context of uh, some of these these deeper, well, maybe deeper is not the right word, but these, these heavier things uh, that I think set the context for the coming of Christ then at the incarnation. So one way that... I've heard this, somebody recommended to do this, is imagine that you knew that your very last day would be Christmas Day, that you're going to die on Christmas Day. How then would you spend the time now until Christmas Day when you actually know that you're going to die at that, at that moment? Well, there's all sorts of things that I'm sure you can think that you might do. And that is really the sort of sense that the church has given us in Advent. Uh, one day we are going to meet the Lord. Either he's going to return to meet us or we're going to die and we're going to meet him. So how can we use this time that we have now upon earth to prepare to meet him? And in preparing to meet him, we can think of that joy that people like Simeon and Anna had and other people whenever they met the Lord Jesus in the flesh and all of the promises and the expectations, the hopes that they had for the world uh, finally came uh, at the dawn whenever the Lord Jesus came into the world. Well, wouldn't it be wonderful if we used our time now in life prepare for the final dawn Uh, this is the dark before the dawn but one day the dawn will come i think we'll we'll draw stumps there let me read from uh the very end of the book of revelation and then i'll pray the uh the collect for advent the revelation revelation 22 and the last uh the last two verses Uh, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And the, the collect for Advent. Almighty God, give us grace 
that we may cast away the works of darkness and put upon us the armour of light, now in the time of this mortal life, in which thy Son Jesus came to visit us in great humility, that in the last day, when he shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge both the quick and the dead, we may rise to the life immortal through him who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Ghost, now and forever. Amen. Amen.